welcome to the Business of Property Podcast. I'm Simon. I'm Stuart. We're both property people running our own businesses. This podcast is just us chatting, as we often do, about anything and everything property. This week, we are going to talk a bit more about the property market and the fact that it seems to be going a little bit crazy at the moment. We talked a bit about this a couple of episodes ago, I think. We'll put the appropriate link in the show notes. There are, as ever, more and more reports coming out as, as time goes on, looking at newer and newer market statistics. And there are three property price reports that we're, we're going to look at today from properties are for sale and another one for rental. So we've got Nationwide, Halifax, eServe um, are the, the three talking about for sale properties. And then we've also got Hampton's rental index, one obviously talking about, about rental properties. Then we've had a, had a request in from, from Chris, uh, who's at Art of Property on, on Twitter, to ask our thoughts in, in the longer term. He's, he's suggested five years. I'm not sure we're going to get that far, but, but, but maybe we'll speculate a little bit beyond what, what we have before, which is sort of a few months to a year, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to tell Chris, I don't need to go past next week. <laughs> No, indeed, uh, I'm I'm with you there. It's uh, yeah, looking out five years is I think extremely ambitious in in the current market. It, even even in a sort of stable, relatively predictable world, I think trying to look out five years is uh, difficult. But yeah, in, in the in the current world where so much is up in the air and so much is unknown, as you say about next month and. Certainly, next six months. Never mind the next next five years. I think, um, yes, I, I think we'll be doing little more than than wild speculation. But then again, I think that's what anybody does when they're looking at that that far away, really. Yeah, and I also think to what end we're doing it for. What is it that we want? That's a very good question. Yeah, if you know, if you knew what the property market was going to do for the next five years, what effect would that have on your behaviour? If you knew that prices were going to decrease by 3% a year for the next five years, what what would you do? Would you stop buying property for investment? Or, or would you just sort of recalibrate your, your objectives onto ROI or yield sort of targets? Would you invest in property at all? Ah, yes. Well, there, there's a good question. But then if the property market's going down, is the world economy generally going down? So, so yeah, perhaps in you could say property market is going down, but then stocks and shares and things are are going up. So obviously you, you invest in something different. But if the whole world economy is going down together, then is is property any worse? Maybe you should still stick with property. At least you're getting ROI if you you invest sensibly. And I think that is why I asked a flippant question around. To what end? Well, slightly flippant question, because for me, we're going to invest in property. I think people ask that question typically because they're thinking about areas would be my would be my assumption is that when we say what do we think is going to happen in the next year, three years, five years is because a lot of people are thinking about, well, I'm looking at buying sometimes very specifically Manchester, Liverpool or 
less specifically northwest, southwest, and so on, and thinking about where might we see the biggest growth. And you've already said it, there are so many factors, macro and micro. So macro as in pandemics, micro as in there's going to be a new shopping centre built around the corner from where you've just bought. So that's why <laughs> I'm always very hesitant around these things. And I think you and I have discussed it before. I, I, when I get messages into my LinkedIn message box or email box, it's usually I'd like to buy in town put name here what do you think <laughs> and it's always for me it's always well what do you think you know what's what 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 research have you done and so on and if we're thinking next five years bringing this background to what you said I think well actually if I'm if I'm invest if I think I'm going to invest in property as opposed to stocks and shares or you know equity investing whatever it might be then if we thought property was going to decrease then what would that mean to other areas of the economy because we've seen that property is, is a big driver of the rest of the economy. Yep, quite. If you're trying to choose your area of investment based on which areas you think are going to go up or down, then presumably you're investing for for capital growth in those areas. But I think really in such an unstable market as as we're expecting things to be at the moment, not not necessarily bad because it may well be going up, but it's just unstable because it's unpredictable. We can't reliably say what's going to happen. I think trying to to guess the market and and invest for capital growth is probably not the best approach. I think you're much better off trying to focus more on yield and ROI and those, those sorts of figures, which are I think are, are good things to to target anyway, but especially at the moment. Yeah, we mentioned that recently, didn't we, is, is focus on the financials of what you're looking at in the round, as in, is the property I'm looking at, do I think it could cash flow? Will it yield what I want it to yield? Will it provide the ROI I want it to provide? And if that is stacking up for you personally, based on your own metrics, then that gives you a really positive feeling to go on and then maybe think about the rest. So I think, uh, Chris, if you can uh, tweet, tweet us again on the business of property. Let us know what you're thinking about, and maybe we can have a a, a a more detailed conversation around those elements. But bringing us onto the the subject of the day, because we were talking about house prices, all I, I'm going to quote from some of the research Simon pulled out, which is from Robert Gardner, who's Nationwide's chief economist. So I'm guessing he's paid a few quid to think about things such as the future and <laughs> the future of the economy. And that doesn't doesn't mean he's going to be any more reliable in his predictions just because he's paid more for them. <laughs> but but I'm just going to say so. So I feel quite comfortable that I mean I'm in good company because I'm just going to quote one line. He says the longer term outlook remains highly uncertain. <laughs> so that, that's just one sentence from the research that you, that, that you have done and we, we've looked at. That, that one sentence sums it up for me, and that's someone that I would imagine spends a large part of his working day looking into the detail of that. And if he's saying that's uncertain, then I feel quite comfortable sitting next to him and saying, yeah, maybe we shouldn't project. Yeah, I mean, that, that's just got to be the theme, hasn't it? I mean, if we look back six months, we were talking about down valuations. And we had Emma join us for, for an episode, and she was talking about her clients having to have trouble getting mortgages because the down valuation is coming through and then having to go back to 
the, the the sellers and say actually can we reduce the price we're going to pay for this property because we can't get the mortgage at, at the the actual agreed sale price or purchase price and now six months later we're looking at reports that that say there's been a uh, what is it uh, I'll quote the actual numbers five point seven percent year on year increase from nationwide that's seasonally adjusted uh, Halifax six point five percent year on year um, although those is not seasonally adjusted just just to make comparison easier um, and then uh, eServe uh, the the most optimistic at nine point eight percent year on year increase I mean there's absolutely crazy increases in a year and we these are comparisons from march so march 2020 things hadn't started being locked down particularly at that, to, to influence those stats things hadn't slowed down or prices changed or anything at that point so it's it's not that these year-on-year figures are particularly distorted because of the pandemic they are comparing sensible pre-pandemic prices with what we've got now and we're seeing these massive increases which yeah i don't think anyone foresaw six months ago certainly with all the banks being very very pessimistic about it and, and putting in down valuations i think when you look at the annual percentage change and if we can snapshot that for example and we'll put it in the notes or on the business of property.com what what staggers me, so you've just talked about the 5.7% annual increase. You go back to last March, that was a 3% increase. So, let's, so we can just assume that what was going to happen had happened in March before lockdown. The March prior to that, the increase was 0.7. And when you look down at the annual increases, it's, it's staggering just how much of an impact from April onwards, when you look at it, versus the prior year, even month for month, you know, from the year 2019, most annual increases were zero point something, you know, and obviously, as we move into 2020, we know that we've got the the, the support and everything else that we've talked about in terms of stamp, stamp duty relief. But the fact that now in 21, we're now seeing, well, from December 7.3, 6.4, it's, I think we used the word on previous podcasts, but for me personally, it's, it's staggering just how how much this is the property market is increasing right now? Yeah, I can't remember which of these reports it has it in, but one of them I think had a a graph going back I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years, whatever it was, of percentage year on year increases obviously, over, over that time period. And yeah, you can you can see there's a, a big dip around the crash in 2007, 2008, and then a bit of a recovery, and then it drops down. And yeah, as you say, then. For a few years, house prices were almost flat. Those small increases, but almost flat. And yes, then it's it's a, a big, a big uptick in the last couple of years, effectively. And it's yeah, I don't think anyone really expected it to be such a big uptick. E- even people who weren't being pessimistic about the pandemic effect still weren't being quite as optimistic as reality has turned out to be. So it's yeah, quite remarkable. And if we look at the, the Hamptons rental index, something that I think this particularly pulls out, I mean, the, the sale prices have similar sort of effects to an extent, but the rental one is really marked. It's how it varies by 
area and region. So the overall figure from Hamptons is 4.4% increase year on year. But if you just look at inner London, they come out with a figure of 17.1% drop in rental prices. 17% drop in a year. That's that's a lot of money off a, off a monthly rent. And that's sufficiently balanced by elsewhere that you end up with 4.4% overall. So outer London, 2.6% increase. So even just that little bit away from inner London is enough to see an increase. So that's a, a swing of some 19.5% or so from inner London losing money to outer London gaining or increasing in price. Then southeast, 7.8%. Southwest, 9.1%. So you, you should be doing well there. Apparently, 9.1% increase in, in rents in southwest. So, so yeah, it, it varies a lot. It's quite quite remarkable how different areas have had different effects. Yeah, and obviously for London, particularly with rental, I know it from my own experience, but there, there is much more headroom to drop than there would be elsewhere. So, for example... I know a studio flat, and this is in Greater London, a studio flat, and people living elsewhere in the country will probably wince when they hear about a studio flat renting now, a 30-metre square studio flat renting for around £1,000, and that's reasonable. If you go into the centre of London, double that at least. So I, I can I can understand how that 17% happens. And then, of course, you've got the premium properties where people are living in you know, Kensington, Westminster areas. So to that, I can see how that happens. Yeah, I was quite, I'm afraid I don't remember the exact details of where it was, but I was really quite shocked when I saw a, a London-based room rental. So this is just a room in a shared house, um, over £1,000 a month. That's, I mean, wow, that's a lot of money just for, for a room. When I know in this area, you can... Not, not quite probably, but almost rent a, a two-bed flat for that. Well, I can, I can trump that because I was speaking with somebody in my investment area who was looking at a room. So he's got multiple children and one of his kids goes to university in London. So we were talking about my rooms where we're, you know, we're looking between 120 to 140 for premium, very premium rooms. And he said, oh, well, that this is fine for me because the other room I'm looking at for my other child was around £400 a week. So £1,600. And I think I'm, I think I'm under-egging the pudding there, again, for a room in a house. So my goodness, it's, um, yeah, enormous regional differences. Coming back to the house prices, again, regional differences. There's, I've seen forum posts where people who have, been talking again and again about how they invest up north and they have a, a model where they pay uh, 80,000 or thereabouts for a house and rent it out consistently get 8% yield. They've now been saying that those same houses that a year ago they could buy for 80,000 they're now on the market for 125,000 having not not seen any increase for years basically since the the crash in 2007 and 8 They've been consistently 80,000. And now, after a year of pandemic, obviously, they've gone up to, to 125,000. And they're saying they, they just 
the rents have not gone up to match in that area, so they, they just can't get the the yields. They, they can't that they can't continue their previous investment strategy in in that area, just because the house price has gone up so much. Yeah, not not unleveraged, and that's that's a challenge. You know, we see with a with a property we're selling is, and, and that's it. Because yes, it's great to get the capital growth, but if you're looking for other investors to buy, unless they're cash buyers which of course they might be, but if, if they're not, then passing rental stress tests and whatever ever other levers the banks are going to have is going to get more and more difficult. So, you know, that'll be an interesting one long term to see how that plays out, whether that changes, because it, you've just made me think of the, the other chart we saw. And again, we'll, we'll try and share what we can, but it was just the uh, house price to earnings ratio. And of course, when you when you go back 30 years, exactly 30 years to 1991, that was around three and a half. So price of a property about three and a half times your earning, which was pretty much most of us of a certain age. That's what we have in our heads. When we think about buying a house, that was always the number in my head. Oh, what can I get? Oh, it's three and a half times. Well, since it looks around sort of 2012, I mean, it went up to six times between 2001 and 2006. Then, of course, we had uh, the crash, the financial crash. But then since 2015, 2016, it hasn't got as high as it was pre-2008, but it's still, based on my rough estimations, around six times. So there's a real there's a real sort of long-term view about how the, this all plays out in terms of, you know, you know the, the thing you'll talk about in pubs and cafes or wherever you talk about property is that how long can this continue? And I imagine people have been having this conversation since 1991. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and we're still having it. Um, yeah, I saw a, a, an article recently on Property Insider talking about exactly this. And, and it's very similar, actually, to the discussion we had a few episodes ago about when this ends and, and indeed what ends it uh, as in the, the the crazily increasing property market because there's, there's got to be an end something has there is going to be a limit reached at some point probably i would expect and property inside listed a whole host of potential reasons that might keep that increase going or indeed cause the end to it and we've talked about most of them before but one that you were just talking about that I or tied into what you were just talking about, which we hadn't mentioned before, really was how cheap it is to borrow money at the moment. And I think that's got to have helped that earnings ratio go up again after the, the financial crash in 07 and 08, because interest rates plummeted and borrowing money just got a lot, lot cheaper. Um, and for a while, it wasn't as easy to borrow money after the, the financial crash, and it took a while for that to come back into play. And again, last year during the pandemic, the interest rates were still very low. But again, it got a bit harder to borrow money. It was more difficult to get mortgage companies to actually process the paperwork because they were, were struggling with, with staff. But also, mortgage companies withdrew products and reduced their maximum loan to values and got stricter on, on other checks that they had in place. And I think now they are easing those again and the higher loan to value products are coming coming back onto the market and things so just as the the market is is booming again if you like we have again the situation of cheap and easy 
money and borrowing being available. So I I think while those continue, it will certainly be a, a help to to fuel the the market. But yeah, what what it is that ends first to bring the market back down, I don't know. And there's so many possibilities that it could be. But yes, maybe it will be interest rates going up. So hopefully in a very long and detailed way, what we've said, Chris, is we don't know what the world's going to look like <laughs> in five years' time. <laughs> Indeed. He did actually specifically mention house prices, buy-to-lets and holiday-lets uh, as things we might want to, to think about for our, our five-year forecasts. And we, we've talked a lot about house prices. And, and I think the conclusion there is we don't know what's going to happen for the rest of this year, never mind five years. Buy-to-lets, I think they're pretty stable. I think they're in five years' time, there'll still be good demand for them. There'll uh, still be a, a good, stable, consistent income available from buy-to-lets, single-lets. But as we've said, the, the yields may get tougher in certain areas depending on where you're looking. Finance might get harder, especially with the rental cover requirements. And I think certain areas may change in sort of popularity. I think also certain property types may change in popularity. So, for example, gardens and open space are becoming a lot more important at the moment. Flats are becoming a bit less popular. But overall, people will still be living in flats. People will still be be living in all property types. So I think they, they will, largely speaking, carry on. Holiday lets. Wow. What do you think there? I was just about to say, no, thanks. <laughs> don't, don't throw that hot potato over this side of the microphone. <laughs> um, well, I'm sorry, I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I can't, I can't, if, we, if we're looking at properties, it, again, I think similar rules apply, don't they, in terms of looking at holiday lets, provided you're buying the right properties in the right area and you're getting the occupancy that you've, that you've worked out you need, whatever that is across the year of 75, 80% plus, then assuming those numbers work for you when you purchase the property, I don't see why that wouldn't continue to work in the same way it would on a, on a buy-to-let. Again, to your point way back when we started talking about this, if, even if the property values decrease, what we know from inflation is that prices still continue to grow. So that would mean staying in, in properties, that price w- would remain stable if not increase itself, the price that you're, you're charging to people. Of course, the, the the other element of this that that we don't know is is about supply. When we're talking about short term accommodation, uh, holiday lets is it's very much dependent on the amount of supply in your area and whether or not the property you have is is more or less appealing than a another that they could get in that area. So again, way too many factors for the likes of my small brain to consider. I think basically you're saying it depends on supply and demand, and we don't know what either of those are going to be like in the future. <laughs> I think, and it varies by area. <laughs> I, I think we should try and end this podcast while we can possibly get out with any respect intact. <laughs> okay, for the last 30 seconds, I just wanted to mention that I'd, after looking at these reports of price increases going up by, I don't know, somewhere between 6 and 10% a, a year, I did a bit of digging into some of the, the stats that I collect from or with Patma. And I was looking specifically at, at my investment area, so around Red Hill, 
And I was thinking to find out, is are these numbers reflected in my area? And what has actually been increasing in price? And generally speaking, yes, Red Hill has seen a similar, broadly similar, I think my figures came out at about 6.5%, something like that, increase year on year. And, and that obviously matches the, the general sort of picture that we're seeing. However, I, I looked a bit harder into the stats and I broke them down by the number of bedrooms in a property. And something very specific jumped out. Most of the properties had gone up a little bit, changed a little bit. But where the real growth had happened was in three-bedroom properties. So what, what do you think is special about three-bedroom properties, Stuart? What, what, makes, what makes that the area of growth rather than one or two or four or five? Was that three bedrooms in, in the Red Hill area? Yes. I don't know about the rest of the country. I haven't looked. But specifically in the Red Hill area, the, the growth in asking prices on properties has really been in three bedrooms. Again, without looking at the numbers, but you can just think of all of the, you know, the wider factors going on where people would need to move up to a three bed. Because three feels to me like that, that's median, isn't it? In terms of, you know, you're going to start with a flat, you know, like I started in a one bed flat. Yeah, that I think is exactly it. I think three bed is generally where sort of the tipping point goes from flat to house. So, I mean, obviously you get three bed flats, you get four bed flats and more. But generally, I think most flats are studio one, two bedrooms. Houses are two, three plus bedrooms. So that tipping point is where you go from flat to house. And I think that's probably what we're seeing reflected in that. The fact that people are wanting a bit more space, wanting that greenery and things and, and the things that come with, come with the house. Phew, did I pass the test? <laughs> I think so, yes. And we are out of time, so <laughs> we, we need to finish this episode. <laughs> so I think with that, it just remains for me to say thank you very much for listening. Uh, I hope we have said something vaguely interesting to you. Please do get in touch and let us know what you think about the future of the property market and whether you can forecast five years out. If you can, that'd be brilliant. We'll pass it on to Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Apart from that, you can find show notes and links to all the reports and things we've mentioned on thebusinessofproperty.com. And Stuart and I will talk to you again next week. Bye.